Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome, welcome. The Unanimous Decision Podcast. It's your boy, Adam Kaplan. How the fuck are we doing? I'm so excited to be talking about UFC 250 with all of you right now. We're going to get right into it. First fight I want to talk about is uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley versus Eddie Wineland. A little bit of the new age generation versus the old UFC vet. I love this fight. And there's a little bit of uh, some certain variables in this situation that actually the tables turn in terms of who's the vet and who is the uh, who is the rookie, quote unquote. Eddie Wineland has not fought in a smaller UFC cage in the UFC Apex probably in quite a long time, especially in a quieter stadium and an eerier crowd. Uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley becoming found on Dana White's Contender Series is no is no stranger to this. However, Eddie Wineland is no stranger to, uh, to being on uh, UFC pay-per-view. Now, let's get right into it. Eddie Wineland is the type of fighter that likes to come forward, use his gritty boxing, keep his chin down, and swing for the fences a little bit. Likes to keep the fight rough and tough and push the pace. Look for Sugar Sean O'Malley to be comfortable on the back foot, using his counter strikes, using his long limbs, and throwing a lot of single, precise shots right down the middle with his push kick and with his straight left. Um, You know, it's kind of funny because uh, every single time and time again in guys' careers, guys like Eddie Wineland, you know, will go on a losing streak and then have one or two wins and then right away get thrown right back in the mix with a guy that they're trying to build up to be in the top 10 in the UFC. And, you know, we see this story time and time again, and there will always be a bout where they're always putting a vet versus the rook, we'll say, or the or the young gunner, and they're trying to test those waters to see if he's able to get to that next echelon. Sugar Sean is ready. Let's be honest here. The guy is calm, cool, and collected. Even after a two-year layoff due to a little bit of some issues with USADA, he had some issues with SARMs, which is a little bit of some residual effects from taking like vegan vegetarian byproducts and also uh, having a foot and hip surgery, uh, foot injury and hip surgery. So in those two years, a lot of people were questioning whether or not it had set him back. But he states that by committing more to his nutrition, committing more to his corrective conditioning after his physiotherapy, committing more to his jujitsu, committing more to his strength and conditioning, he's actually become more of a complete athlete. So he actually says that that two-year layoff is a blessing, and if it was going to happen at any point in his career, now would have been the best time. Okay, Uh, He hurt his foot in the fight against Andre Sukumath, took his two-year layoff, and you know then he just went in there, and he fucking starts Quinones. And that was it. It was a very short fight. So what I'm looking for is, is that I'm looking for Sugar Sean to come in there nice and confident and nice and strong. And if Eddie Wineland wants to slow the fight down and close the distance by clinching with Sugar Sean and trying to take him down, I think that over the last few years, Sugar Sean has worked enough on his jiu-jitsu where he's going to surpass this challenge. This is, a, this is a fight that the UFC has made for Sugar Sean to kind of capitalize. I can't, call, I can't stop calling him Sugar, baby. Sugar's so sweet. Look for Sugar Sean to finish this fight. I'm saying within the first two rounds. Very strong on the on the counter-punching game, throwing teeps right down the middle. The barrage of punches of Eddie Wineland will 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 not be enough. I'm looking at Sugar Sean winning this fight by TKO in the first or second round. And if I'm looking at who is the next perfect opponent for Sugar Sean, it's either uh Yad Dong Song from Alpha Male 
perhaps the guy that he just beat, Marlon Chido Vera, who uh, Sugar Sean was supposed to fight, or Ricky Simon. Okay, one of these three guys. You're looking at the rankings. You're looking at how their stories and how these guys have all connected with each other in MMA math and how they look at the rankings. Those three fights make perfect sense. And it would actually be nice to see Sugar Sean create a little bit of a narrative with uh, an alpha male guy. So Yad Dong Song would actually be a great fight. Okay, the young Chinese fighter who moved from China and entrusted in Uriah Faber to move to Sacktown and and, and uh, train under his tutelage. So it would actually be really interesting to see Sugar Sean create a little bit of a narrative with another alpha male guy, as we've seen over the last few years, how alpha male has virtually sucked up the bantamweights division's competition and in drama as well with the likes of Cody Garbrandt, Dominic Cruz, TJ Dillashaw, Chad Mendez, all of these folks. You know, and then you add in Conor McGregor into the scene. So adding a little Sugar Sean into that scene would be great also. And it would also maybe uh, help when this is all over, break Sugar Sean into the Chinese market, which I think he would be a fucking massive hit. If they put Sugar Sean on the main event against Yad Dong Song for a five-round fight in the bantamweight division, I guarantee you they will have a mega star. Okay, second round, baby. Second or first round. Next fight, we got Al Joe. Al Joe to Funk Master Sterling. Long Island Zone, a Cerro Longa byproduct, a fantastic camp based around a bunch of good, good guys. Division three NCAA wrestler. He likes to use his legs like he uses his arms, aka he will throw more kicks than punches in a fight. But what's actually gotten Aljamain Sterling to the dance is, is his wrestling. He likes to close the distance. He likes to hold on to guys. He likes to wrap his legs around you and ground and ground and pound you. Excuse me. Let me take a sip of that water. And he's fighting a 12 and one Corey Sandhagen, who is just your typical tough, tough motherfucking Denver fighter. Every single Denver fighter, your Justin Gaethje's, your Donald Cerrone's, your Nate Marquardt's, your Curtis Blades, your Shane Carwood's, um, your Trevor Whitman's. Strong kickboxing, strong boxing, strong wrestling, strong jujitsu, strong mind, hard body, and always, always professional. Denver fighters always keep it 100, okay? Now, the reason why both of these fighters didn't get the co-main event slot, the reason why they aren't the number one contenders is because they aren't playing the game. They are not falling into the antics and the drama of what the UFC wants under the WME uh, division. Okay, These guys want them both to get on the mic and talk their shit and rip on each other, and that is just not what they are about. Okay, Corey Sandhagen is a purebred mixed martial artist, Okay, a WKA uh, kickboxing champion, and then also has that standard strong Denver grappling. Okay, and then you have a guy in Aljamain Sterling who comes from a fantastic camp under Sarah Longo. He's got high-level jujitsu, high-level grappling, high-level kickboxing. These guys don't need to talk their shit to let uh, to let their fight do the talking. Okay, they don't need to talk their shit. Their fight fucking does it. These guys, you know, they you, they want them to go out there and 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 rip on each other and put each other down and 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 just kind of water down the fight. These two guys are about mixed martial arts. And the reason why that they're not getting the top spot is because Cody Garbrandt will run up to you in the backstage and push you around and tell you to fuck yourself and cause a little bit of ruckus and put more asses in the seats. And Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen are not going to fall to those antics. 
So what did they do? They said, all right, cool. Cody's ready to come back. Let's put him in the co-main event. Hopefully he gets his quick KO and then we'll see what happens. They do claim that Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen is the number one contender. I will believe it when I see it because my prediction is, let me get to it, okay? Aljamain Sterling fighting in a smaller cage is going to look to trap Corey Sanhagen wrap his arms around him and take him down and, and slowly just kind of suck the life out of him. And then after he sucked the life out of him in those later rounds, in the second, maybe probably most likely the third round, when the fight again starts on the feet, I believe that Aljo would then go to look to go to work and try to pick him off on the feet. Um, however, Corey Sandhagen is one of, your, one of the most well-rounded MMA fighters that the UFC has seen recently, Okay. Like I said already, he's got that top-notch fucking Denver wrestling. But what he likes to really do is on the feet, which is so interesting is, is that he's always moving. He's always using his footwork, and he likes to close the distance with a little bit of a skipping knee or a flying knee. Okay, whether he's trying to strike you or not, um, he's still closing that distance in an unorthodox way. And he's actually quite comfortable on the inside. You saw against Jesse Arnett, he fucking beat the shit out of him with liver shots on the inside with boxing. So even though Aljamain Sterling is looking to close the distance, Corey Sandhagen is well-rounded enough that he is going to be able to fend off some of those, um, some of that, uh, he's going to be able to fend off a lot of the closing of distance due to his footwork, but also due to the fact that he's not, he's not uncomfortable in the clinch and he's not uncomfortable to utilize his Muay Thai. So I'm actually going with Corey Sandhagen here by unanimous decision. Um, I think that it's going to be a close fight. I think it's going to be 29-28. Corey Sanhagen will be a little bit on the back foot because it is a smaller cage. But I think in the later rounds, when Aljo kind of gets sick of repeatedly trying to wrestle with Corey Sanhagen, um, he's going to realize that this is uh, his fight to lose and Corey Sanhagen's fight to win. And that's kind of why I think that they now, let me segue to it, have put in this Cody Garbrandt versus... Um, Versus Rafael Sunsau. I mean, first of all, Rafael Sunsau has been a top bantamweight fighter for over 10 fucking years. Okay. For over 10 years. He's not exciting in the sense that, you know, he's going to have the biggest knockouts or the biggest uh, or all the finishes in the world. Yes, he had that fantastic performance of the night knockout against Matthew Lopez. But over the span of 10 years, if we're looking at the other bantamweight fighters who've been far more impressive, he is not on that list. TJ Dillashaw is ahead of him. Uriah Faber is ahead of him. Cody Garbrandt is ahead of him. Uh, Dominic Cruz is ahead of him. Fuck, I mean, you know, people even want to see Aljo and, and Corey Sandhagen over him right now. So at the end of the day, yes, he is a very, very strong and, and consistent fighter in the UFC. He, he is not the person that is going to get people excited. And in people's eyes, he is not very memorable. Okay. Cody Garbrandt, however, that fucking dime piece, Mr. Tattoos, Mr. Beard now got that chin protection. You know, he's had a struggle over these last few years. He rose to the top uh, beating, dominating the dominator, Dominic Cruz, a, a, for the UFC bantamweight title. And then he went on to lose twice to TJ Dillashaw because he kind of got lost in the sauce, man. Guy got lost in the sauce, man. He got lost. Guy was focused on fighting Uriah Faber's battle on, on the ultimate fighter uh, towards TJ Dillashaw 
instead of just focusing on his own career. He he felt like he had to be the new guard dog, the new face of the organization of the of the gym, and it kind of hindered his attention. And then you keep in mind of his fighting style and the and his and his and the way his ego lets lets him go in the ring. If Cody is going to stand in front of somebody, there is a plausible chance that he is going to get KO'd. And this is why against Pedro Munez, uh, TJ Dillashaw, and TJ Dillashaw, this happened because when he stood in front of his opponent and and he let his ego get the best of him, that's when he got knocked out. But this is where the secret fucking weapon comes into play. Cody Garbrandt has now come out of his comfort shell. He has seen the light and he has gone to split his time in New Jersey. Okay, He is training with the one and only Pino's Pizza, Coach Mark Henry, who is coached with the likes of Frankie Edgar, Eddie Alvarez, Chris Weidman, Marlon Marias, okay, Edson Barbosa, New Jersey and East Coast top fucking fighters. And now you have one of Ohio's own, uh, now a West Coast Sacktown boy, flying over to New Jersey, chilling there out in the winter, training in the basement of Mark Henry's, okay? The way Mark Henry teaches his guys is he has a list of cheat codes. He has a list of names and and titles and adjectives that will resemble or simulate combinations that you will use on the bag, okay? Or certain footwork with perhaps, you know, like let's just say he is Mark Henry for a perfect example were to say, Lego my ego, maybe it means Cody Garbrandt is going to step in with a one-two, step off to the right, and then throw a two-left hook, okay? Just for a perfect example, for those of you that know the fight game and have boxed with, have boxed before, have done MMA before, you'll know what I'm talking about. So he likes to use these, these cheat codes as, as a simulation, and what's so crazy is, is that over the years with a guy like Frankie Edgar, it literally looks like he is controlling Frankie Edgar like a video game. And I think that if you look at a fighter like Cody Garbrandt, one of those things that he's always been missing is somebody to pull the reins back on him a little bit. And I think that that younger culture at Team Alpha Male makes it a little bit harder sometimes to kind of uh, be as obedient. Sometimes we need those authorities. Sometimes we need an older voice. Sometimes we need someone who's a little bit more connected to God. Sometimes we need somebody who's seen a couple more fucking years on this earth than us. And there was no better pick than Mark Henry, okay? If you're looking for somebody that's going to pull the reins on this Mustang, on this stallion, on this pit bull, you're looking at Mark Henry, especially able, being able to navigate him like a video game, using these cheat codes, using these secret words as, as, as bypasses to perhaps set a trap and then, and then you know finish off with something else is a phenomenal, phenomenal pick by Cody Garbrandt. And I think he's going to see the ROI on this 100%. And I think the UFC knew what they were doing. I'm looking for Cody Garbrandt to finish this fight in the first round by knockout. Okay. I'm going bold about it. I might be picking my, my, I'm, I'm going with my heart over my head on this one. If I wanted to go with my head, I would maybe say that this fight could go to the later rounds. And if I also wanted to go with my head, I say that it would. it's very plausible that Cody gets tagged and does not recover. And Rafael Asuncao uses his <coughs> uh, black belt jujitsu and world, world champion-esque mentality to be... <coughs> to be able to drag Cody into the deeper rounds. And I think that that will be kind of the 
the theme of the night is how is Cody going to react when he gets hit? How is Cody going to put himself in the fire? How is Cody going to be able to hit and not get hit? I'm going with the no love kid. I'm going with Mr. Ohio. I'm going with team Mark Henry, team alpha male, Cody Garbrandt. I'm going with the young gunners tonight. I'm going with the boys with the tattoos. Moving on, last and not least, we have the main event. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I wasn't that pumped about it at first, man. I wasn't that pumped. I was kind of like, okay, like Amanda Nunes, like, you know, great fighter. She's phenomenal. She's a legend. She is going to beat Felicia Spencer and just kind of move on with it. And that'll be that. But then I started to watch a little bit more. And then I thought, wait a second here. There are a lot of similarities in both of these fighters, okay? Yeah, Amanda Nunes has stronger Muay Thai, stronger kickboxing, more experience, more finishes, a stronger resume. She's a two-time title holder. But Felicia Spencer, born in Montreal, Quebec, then moved off into Florida to, to go on to train and finish off her education, is a world champion karate athlete. And also has showed that she is no slouch in, 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 in as an MMA wrestler and has finished most of her fights on the ground, if not all of them, by ground and pound. Okay? So let me break it down to you like this, baby. Amanda Nunes, yes, she has a world-class resume. She has beaten the likes of Misha Tate, Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey, Chris Cyborg. And now she's going on to defend her 145-pound belt against, her name has just escaped me, Felicia Spencer. So insulting. Can't believe I just did that. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, hold on now. Amanda Nunes has fantastic kickboxing, and if Felicia Spencer wants to make this a striking match, Felicia Spencer could hang with her, as you saw in the Chris Cyborg fight. But the way that Felicia Spencer could win this fight is by closing the distance and utilizing that small cage to, 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 keep, to keep Amanda Nunez's back up against that wall. And once she closes that distance, look for Felicia Spencer to actually use a lot of dirty boxing a la Raddy Couture. Okay? Bring, try to bring Amanda Nunez down to the ground. And Felicia Spencer's bread and butter actually is, is, is looking to go to full mount. Or getting that side control, looking for a head and arm choke. She is no slouch in either of those positions. So look for um, look for Amanda Nunes to utilize a lot of scrambling should they get on the ground together. Except, you know, it's not really going to be a cakewalk for Felicia Spencer to be able to close the distance on Amanda Nunes. I mean, we clearly saw against Jermaine Durandamine in her last fight, although... Durand means a K1 kickboxer. You still were able to see how she's able to control somebody also on the ground for five rounds and has high level jujitsu. So, you know, Felicia Spencer's size and athleticism can succumb Amanda Nunez on the ground, but it's going to be a fucking battle, man. Amanda Nunez is, is, is going for legend, uh, is going for legend status in this one. And I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. The divisions are shallow. I don't want to hear it. Oh, uh, there's no one for her to fight. Look at her resume. She's fucking smoked everybody. Yeah, okay, 145 is a shallow division. Big fucking deal. She's a two-time champ, man. She's the only one actually defending them and winning. Like, shut your mouths. 
She is a superstar. Okay. And this is actually a great matchup. Felicia Spencer on paper. And, and even in, and when you look at the face off, her physical appearance, her athleticism, her proudness to back her opponent up against the cage and bring them down to the ground and get to full mount and get into side control and look for a head and arm choke is a very, is a, is, is, is very consistent. She does it a lot. And she's actually comfortable from a distance as well. I just think Chris Cyborg, it was too soon. She should have fought her fight. So she's going to have her hands full. I know I'm all over the place in this one. I'm kind of complimenting both fighters because I think that they're both world class. I think that they're both beasts. But don't get it twisted here. Felicia Spencer is stepping into the lion's den. Amanda Nunes is a fucking star. She wants to become a legend now. Okay. Felicia Spencer is just entering champ status. Amanda Nunes has been there, done that twice. Okay, I'm looking for this fight to go five rounds. If I'm going with my, 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 my brain, I'm going with Amanda Nunes, a five-round decision. I, I, I feel that this fight is going to be uh, all around entertaining. I think that both women are going to be strong on the feet and are going to tag each other. And I think that we're actually going to see a lot of cool and exciting scrambles and a lot of high-level grappling from these two because Amanda Nunes is not just going to lay there on the bottom due to the fact that Felicia Spencer is so big and so strong. So look for Amanda Nunes to set out to scramble a lot and look in those later rounds when Felicia uh, Spencer is perhaps a little bit more tired because she hasn't been there before as much, even though she's an Invicta champion. The UFC is a little bit different. Um, look in those later rounds where Amanda Nunes starts to pick her shots off in the kickboxing. So you know what? I'm going to go with Amanda Nunes, uh, three to two, unanimous decision. Um, I think the first two and a half rounds are going to be very, very close in terms of the grappling. And then I think that in the later rounds, when Felicia Spencer has a little bit more difficulty with the grappling, that Amanda Nunes will take over with her kickboxing. Guys, that is it. That is all. I just want to thank every single one of you for taking the time to listen today. Uh, it's going to be a journey. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to talking about more things. Um, don't expect me to be breaking down the fights every single weekend because I speak from the heart. And if my heart isn't into it, then I'm going to speak on other things in MMA and boxing uh, that will entertain all of you and more importantly, entertain myself. I am the voice in your ears, Adam Kaplan. Thank you for tuning in. I will see you next time.